Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. This is Behind the Investigation, a podcast about the genre-defining new HBO crime drama, The Investigation, which tells the story of the people who worked to solve Swedish journalist Kim Wahl's murder. I'm your host, Anna Cogerado, and you have joined me on episode three of the show, which is all about truth. The investigation centres around Jens Müller, who led the team of detectives that solved the murder of Kim Ball. And as we see in the show, in solving the case, Jens upheld an unshakable commitment to uncovering what really happened to Kim. I am delighted that the real-life Jens Müller is here with me today to tell us more about how he went about conducting that investigation. And I'm also joined by the writer and director of the series, Tobias Lindholm. Before we hear from them, just a quick warning that this podcast does talk about a violent crime, which some listeners may find distressing. And I did want to just say that while the investigation is based on real life events, there are some spoilers for the TV show in this episode. Welcome, Tobias and Jens. Jens. In episode three of the series, we see Soren Marling, the actor who plays you, really feeling the pressure to solve this case. Now, of course, you can't discuss the confidential elements of the case with us, but could you tell us a bit about the methods you use to crack this impossible case? And something in particular I know that listeners are keen to hear about is your decision to not interview the accused yourself. I think the pressure on me that you mentioned in the beginning, in reality, is my own that I build up inside because I have a real personal desire to solve this case. I'm as invested in this case as the rest of the team, the diving leader, the prosecutor, everyone involved. From a professional police point of view, this was a completely new challenge for all of us. The crime scene was at the bottom of the ocean and the remains of Kimbal were dispersed around different locations, also at the bottom of the ocean. Because of that, we had to invent completely new methods and skills to deal with the situation. Her remains weren't simply in a harbor or in a lake. They were literally spread out in the open sea. Not if we have a clue what route the submarine had sailed. So the challenges we had, first in somehow raising the sub, 
figure out logistically how to move it and lift the submarine out of the water that weighed 70 tons, including all the water that was stuck inside it, that was a real test in itself. Our next challenge was to understand which route the submarine had actually taken. This was something that proved way more difficult than I had initially imagined. And finally, when we were able to get the track, we had to be very economical with our divers' time. There was no way they would be able to dive the entire track within the time frame we were working with. So, we had to develop a new method that would save us some time, and this is when the Swedish dogs were brought in. Even though the dogs were brought in, it didn't help us immediately, as diving out on the open sea was also an entirely new experience for them. They had to cope with the wind and learn the ways of the strong current, which was constantly changing throughout the day. There were so many unknowns, which put a lot of pressure on the dive leader, which is why he constantly sought more knowledge and information so he could dive with more precision. These were the challenges that we overcame bit by bit. So in the TV show, we never see the accused, and that's a very deliberate storytelling device. But in reality, Jens, you actually didn't interview the accused yourself. Can you tell us about that decision? I've been the head of an investigation team who are all extremely qualified and have received a lot of training within this specific area. So of course it was obvious to get them to interview our suspect. In addition, the interviews with our suspect in this case were unlike most, due to the fact that they needed a fair degree of technical insight because the suspect came up with very lengthy and highly technically detailed explanations about the engineering of the submarine, how it operates, and told elaborate stories about what took place, which had to be invalidated or confirmed as correct. And to analyze this clearly, you need years of interviewing experience, plus a great understanding of the intricate technicalities of a submarine. So we chose a police officer who was specifically qualified for this. And Tobias, as a storytelling device not including the accused in the tv series at all that's something that you very rarely see in this type of show can you tell us a bit about why you did that and how that worked well in my first coffee meeting with jens he told me that he had never interviewed the perpetrator himself and i remember feeling the energy from that I remember thinking, if he can solve this whole case without ever being in the same room as the perpetrator, I can make a TV show about Jens's work without ever meeting the perpetrator. And that kind of became the first real creative decision I made about this TV show. Uh, so, so, so basically, you can say that it was a decision that came from Jens's work, but I could have, since we are doing interviews with, with other people, we could have been in there with Maybrit interviewing uh, uh, the perpetrator. But I knew that, you know, when you start to tell a story, for me, the most important thing is to find the unexpected angle. And it seemed like the expected angle would be a fascinated portray of this crazy eccentric perpetrator. So the unexpected angle would be to erase him and just be fascinated with what you could call boring or slow, the police procedures. 
And when I started to write and I suddenly felt how rich the material became because we did not go close to the perpetrator, it just felt like a logical uh, choice. What's fascinating to me about the show is that when you strip everything back, this is a show about people doing their jobs. Granted, doing their jobs very well, but it's just people working. And that's a completely different way to imagine the idea of how you tell a story of a tragedy or how you tell a story of a horrific killing or the disappearance of somebody. But that's that's the lens through which this has been approached. Definitely. Um, I've always been fascinated with characters that are presented in profession. I think the big difference between American storytelling and European cinema is that in Europe we are obsessed with psychology. It's like we are all hurting inside and we are tumbling around in our lives as this big psychology. And then maybe it's also a police officer solving a murder case. The American version is, here's a police officer. He's solving a murder case. And then maybe he's struggling with something. But the important is, who are you in society? You are portrayed as a citizen. Um, and that has fascinated me always because I think that um, offers an opportunity to identify with your character right away. In this case, uh, we're going to see a police show, so they think they know what we're going to see. And then it's just the boring procedures of Jens Müller and his struggle, and you realize that the fascinating part is the humanity of it, not the brutality of it. So by using the expectation of the audience, you can... Uh, tell an even more surprising story. I think to me, one of the ways that really comes across in the show is, and this brings it back to some of the unconventional policing methods that were used, is the fact that Joachim Wall played quite an integral role in parts of the investigation. And he really wanted to take an active role and actually helped with either some ideas or even in some cases making a few calls to um, to other officials to get help things move along. How did that play out in real life, Jens? So what role did Joachim play in helping your investigation? Of course he should be allowed and able to express his wishes towards the work of the police. It's quite normal that those affected have wishes about how we handle cases but it's equally normal for us to sometimes try and limit these and do our investigations in the order that we believe helps the case. But in this case, I had the capacity to listen to Joachim and to take some of his ideas on board. Especially as he had so much experience himself of diving and he had knowledge about the ocean. I chose to listen to him and spoke with the other divers and their teams about what he was sharing. It made sense to use his advice and skill set I would have been a fool not to listen as Joachim had competencies we could use. Competencies we didn't have ourselves. I'm not a trained diver. So of course I listened to Joachim and used it in the work with the professional divers. I think that's one aspect of the TV show that is just very, very moving are the scenes between Jens's character and 
Kim's parents where you're seeing you're seeing a friendship blossom but you're also seeing those moments where they're very upset and frustrated because there aren't answers and yet throughout all of that the light does prevail and actually the parents really help push the case forward uh, to what extent were the calls that Yoki made, in particular to get the route that the sub took, how significant was that uh, role that Yoki played at that point to help get that information? I'm sure it was a good thing that he called himself. The fact that a father, whose daughter had gone missing and had been murdered, decides to call and speak with the operators himself, means that they start to really feel this special presence that always surrounds Ingrid and Joachim. That energy they have, such extraordinary people, and how they are able to talk to absolutely everyone. When the staff at the traffic surveillance center spoke with Joachim, I'm 100% sure that they would do anything within their power to help make it easier for the Danish police to get the track. It's possible that we would have been given the track of the submarine without that phone call. I'm not sure, but I'm absolutely sure that it definitely was a positive reminder to the staff that they needed to provide the information, as it meant everything, both to an investigation and to the people who were now without their daughter. Tobias, I want to go back to something that you said earlier about how you wanted to erase the perpetrator from the story. What I found really fascinating to watch is that Kim, of course, isn't in the show. And yet her her spirit and her story is just so alive in all of the episodes. And it's such a contrast where, you you know, you have these two characters who who aren't there, the perpetrator and the victim. And yet this really is a story where the victim is at very much at the forefront of our minds throughout the show. And whereas with the perpetrator, we don't really give him much, much thought. He's, he's very much in the background. How did you achieve that? How was that something? What are some of the devices that you use to make sure that we very much humanize Kim and have her as part of this story, even though there is no physical manifestation of her in the show? First of all, the biggest cliche in the genre of crime um, is that a male writer writes a story about another male that kills a female and a third male who investigates the case and solves it. In that story, the victim is the female and the rest is focused on these men doing good and evil in the world. And that's a very boring tradition. In this case, by erasing or removing the perpetrator from the story, I already had an original angle to the story because suddenly I would need to spend my camera time somewhere else. I could not, in the writing, allow myself to go into that room and write fascinating conversations between two men in a room talking about life and evilness, as we have seen so many times. I forced myself to write about conversations between an investigator and grieving parents. 
And that alone gave us original, totally new scenes that have not been seen before. And it also allowed me to to make, not a portray of Kim, because this is not Kim's story. It's the story of Jens Müller and the story of the investigation. But Ingrid and Joachim represents Kim in a way. And for example, in, in episode uh, two, uh, Jens has asked for permission to look through uh, Kim's computers and hard disks to look for for traces uh, to see if there are any connection between the perpetrator and Kim. Did they know each other? Is there any Facebook messages, emails, and so on? And Ingrid and Joachim brings the computers to the police station as they did in, in, in real life. And quite fast, the police realized that there's nothing there that connects Kim with the perpetrator. But what is there is a proof of life, the life that brutally has ended, but a very important life that spent a young female that spent her life telling other people's stories. And by doing that scene, instead of wasting time with the perpetrator and trying to understand him, this scene allowed me to spend my time with the journalist Kimbal and understand some of the stories that she spent her life telling. And luckily, Engel and Joachim would provide details. And luckily, uh, Kim's colleagues would allow us to portray this real article. So when you watch episode two and there's a portrayal of a story that they created out or wrote out in, in Marshall Islands, it's the real footage taken by the real colleagues. And it's Joachim's real explanation about that story that is put out there by Rolf. And in that way, in small glimpse, we humanized this version of a crime show by giving us details from light instead of details from darkness. And it became a mantra for me to make sure that every time I felt the urge to go into the darkness, I kind of forced myself to figure out what the opposite light version of that would be and see if we could do that instead. Um, so, so, so that became this this TV show, The Investigation, and for me that's what basically distances it from, from a lot of other uh, crime shows is that we don't spend time with him, uh, with, the, with the perpetrator. We spend time with grieving parents and people doing their job. As a storyteller, we have responsibilities, and you need to, as a journalist, as a fiction writer, you have the responsibility over the story you tell. So when I, as a storyteller, am writing this, I have a responsibility to make sure that the story I tell represents the people I tell about. And the only way I could do that was to listen very carefully to what Jens had to tell and what Ingel and Joachim had to tell. And they offered so much that if I was just willing to focus on that, it was possible to make a human version of, of this terrible, uh, terrible tragedy. That scene in episode two where we see Kim's work as a journalist and we see the real photos that um, that she took and her colleagues took on the reporting trip they went on to the Marshall Islands. It's a really, really powerful scene. And also there is such a contrast in that scene because 
We spent a good few minutes learning about her work and seeing these incredible photos and, and hearing about the important story that she's told there in the Marshall Islands. And then in the same scene, we hear about the tabloid journalists who are running these unconfirmed rumours about her and these very grotesque stories that aren't even based in any truth. And we just see a real contrast and we see the kind of journalist that Kim was and what she stood for. And she's the complete opposite of those tabloid journalists who are who have, you know, very little ethics and who are running inappropriate stories. Um, Jens, I'd love to hear from you what it was like to be in that real scene, in that room with her parents and looking at her work and seeing those photos and learning about Kim through the work that she did and getting a sense of who she was from the kinds of stories that she told. The whole experience was very emotional. The scene itself was very authentically described by Tobias. It's true that when I called and asked Ingrid and Joachim for the computer, naively thinking they would say yes, they immediately declined my request. They said that they could not just allow me access, as it could be full of confidential information about people Kim might have spoken with in the past. Any misuse of this information could literally mean life or death for those people. This scene is completely authentic, as they described it to Tobias, and the solution is also completely true. They end up traveling from Sweden to our office in Copenhagen, where they sit with me and explain why they need to go through the process in this way, and I have one of my investigators with me as well, to have a look at the information on the laptop. I've gotten to know Kim Wahl as I've been working on the investigation, and that has been strange. As a professional police officer, you always try to gather information about a person from interviews with relatives, but in this case I learned more about Kim than I had learned about other victims in the past. The third episode of the show is particularly moving because it's the one in which we find out that there is a DNA match for Kim. And so that's where we have the confirmation that she has in fact died. And Jens calls a press conference straight away after informing the family of the find. In that scene, we see Jens's character squinting under the flashing lights of the camera just for a second. But that really captures the weight of the pressure on him. Now, Tobias, I know that you took a particular interest in the press conferences that Jens conducted during the investigation and specifically his statements. Can you tell us about how you studied them to help inform the way you created the series? The only knowledge I have of Jens uh, before I started to do the research for this TV show was through these televised press conferences where this very serious man would um, be in front of a lot of microphones and inform the public of uh, of what had happened. And then when I uh, talked to Jens and started to have meetings with him, I realized that the big fascination was the control that he presented in those press conferences opposite the chaos that his stories to me uh, would represent behind the closed doors. So as a citizen, I had watched this police chief in full control inform the press, and suddenly I realized that he was not in full control, that he didn't know all this, that he was emotionally turned apart, that there was so much... Uh, stuff going on that he could not uh, tell at these press conferences. And I realized that I had actually remembered some of them, that they really um, left an impact. 
So I decided to make sure that all the press conferences we did would word by word be accurate. So all the misspeakings, all the small mistakes that you do when you just speak, I would ask Sharon Melling to copy it 100%. And by doing that, you realized how a big mess language can be when you try to write exactly what people are saying because, you know, when you're just speaking together, it makes sense, but suddenly writing it is something very different. So it was very hard for Søren to memorize all of Jens's mistakes uh, because normally your, your own mistakes comes naturally, uh, but to, to get to know, just to learn all those words, but then to learn them in a way that just didn't make sense uh, was interesting. But I wanted to make sure that people could go into YouTube when they had watched these episodes and they could find these press conferences and they would realize that I hadn't dramatized anything. It is exactly what was said on that exact day. And I would use that to remind me and everybody else in the film crew that this is real. This is not a story that we made up to entertain anybody. This is real. And and, and, and this became the glue that could, you know, glue our fictionalized version to the reality that we were portraying. I want to add to what Tobias is saying here, because there's a very funny story attached to what we were just talking about. Søren Melling has, throughout the whole filming period, been amazing and happily allowed me to be on the set to observe. One day, when we were chatting, he said, well, it's difficult to learn all these mistakes. And I said, mistakes? What are you talking about? I haven't made any mistakes. We ended up watching some of the video clips of the press conferences And then I realized what he meant. I definitely have a tendency to say um too many times or phrase a sentence the wrong way around. I thought that was quite a funny moment. I remember thinking to myself that those press conferences had gone really well, even though it wasn't anything big. But for CERN, it was difficult to try and learn all of these mistakes by heart. And I get that. Of course, it's normal to speak correctly and not the jumble way I speak. And that was quite a funny moment we had, CERN and I. I was going to ask what it's like, what it was like for you to watch someone act out word by word what you had said in these press conferences. Yes, that was extremely surreal, especially due to the story that I just told. It's surreal to be spoken about in the third person because it's not something I've been used to before. I've just been really, really lucky that Tobias and Søren both could handle me being with them on the set even though there were so many scenes to get through. And to join them every morning and hear Tobias' instructions to the entire team, that's a lot of people, about what was happening that day and referring to Jens Müller. In the beginning it was weird for me, but later it became the norm to be referred to in the third person, because it wasn't the real me. Of course, it was still very surreal to later see it all played out in front of my eyes. At that point, though, I'd had a year to get kind of used to it. But of course, some of the scenes that were recreated word for word was an intense experience for me to watch afterwards, and also during some of the recording days. I was thinking back to that day, thinking about my own feelings that I had that day when I held those press conferences, and that has been emotional because some of those meetings were quite heavy. Especially the one you just mentioned, where we had just discovered the torso, and two days later received the matching DNA. That was extremely overwhelming. Thank you again to both of you and for everything that we've discussed today. Thank you, Anna. It was a pleasure for both of us being here. You've been listening to Behind the Investigation with me, Anna Kojarado. A big thank you to my guests, Tobias Lindholm and Jens Muller, for joining us today. 
the three of us will be back next time, where we'll talk about the help Jens and his team had in solving the case, and the breakthrough they had when they enlisted the help of the Swedish sniffer dogs and other experts. Continue to track the investigation by watching this limited series on HBO and streaming on HBO Max. Until next time.